It's been good. Now, I know you thought you were going to get out early, but hey, we ain't preached yet. <laughs> Thank you all for everyone who participated. Just the talent that this church is blessed with. Uh, we are grateful, uh, grateful that you're using that talent for the Lord. Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's go to the Gospel of John. Christmas is upon us. I know, you're shocked we didn't go to Hebrews. We're going to take a break from Hebrews for a little while. In fact, it may be, I don't know, it, it's possible it may be February before we get back into it. Um, we'll see. See what the Lord has in store. But felt uh, led to, to take um, this time of year always to, to focus on uh, the meaning of Christmas. And uh, again, just to sort of reset and, and rethink our purpose we have a purpose, folks. We have a purpose on this planet. And that purpose is that we might know Christ, we might know Him, and we might glorify Him forever. And so if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning as your Lord and Savior, well, then we have a gift we want to share with you, and that's Him. You heard my family and I, uh, mostly my family, not I, sing earlier. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I figured that was worth an amen there. And our song was, What Child Is This? And I think I've used this title before in a Christmas message, but a different message. And yet I want us to think about, as we sing these songs, as we think about the babe in the manger this time of year. What child is this? is this because I can assure you he's not just an ordinary child and so I want us to think about this question this morning I don't know if uh, any of you take the Christmas our daily breads but there is a little story that was shared in one of these uh, some time back and I want to share that story with you The date was Christmas Day, 1914. In contrast to the brutality of the First World War, the story is told that on Christmas Day, 1914, a soldier popped his head over the top of his trench and looked out across no man's land. Rather than throw a few grenades across the field of death, littered with barbed wire, he instead that morning chose to toss a couple of tins of corned beef into his enemy's trench. Knowing that both sides of the war lacked most of life's basic essentials and were nearly always hungry, he tossed those cans. Within a few minutes, a dull thud in the soil next to him sounded the arrival of a packet of coffee and some sweets courtesy 
of the other side. Cautiously, men began to emerge from the relatively safety of their mud coffins. Within a short while, jokes were being translated from German into English and vice versa. Food was pulled together for a Christmas dinner. Cards appeared on makeshift tables. And finally, a game of soccer broke out between the two warring armies. And shouts of delight and good-humored rivalry. The day ended with handshakes, smiles, and even prayers for each other. On December 26, the commanding authorities on both sides outlawed any repetition of this event under pain of death, and the slaughter began again in earnest. The ray of hope disappeared from the war experience, and most of the participants of that event would be dead within a year. You know, the Bible says that because of our sin, we are enemies of God. And like this story, one side made the move first to offer grace to offer love. And when I think about the Christmas story, when I think about the whole reason we are gathered here today, I'm reminded that even though our sins have made us, enemy of, made us enemies of God, God in His grace and in His love has made the first move. And He has extended grace and He has stepped into the time uh, and has extended His only begotten Son, and that is the message of Christmas. The simplicity of John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. What child is this? In John chapter 1, we're told He is God incarnate. Notice in John 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then we're told later on in verse 14, And the Word became flesh. The incarnation, the birth of Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What child is this? 
He was the one born of a virgin. In Isaiah, we're told, in Isaiah 7.14, if you want to turn there, you can. If not, I'll flip there and read it to you. Many of you can probably quote it. In Isaiah 7.14, we're told this, Therefore the Lord Himself, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel, which means God with us. What child is this? He's God incarnate. He's born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. You see, the world's even willing to accept baby Jesus in a manger. This time of year, listen, and seize the opportunity. Church, this is a great opportunity for you to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Because people are willing to at least give you the baby in the manger. But it doesn't end there. That's only the beginning of God's grace in, in stepping into this world. This is the fulfillment of everything from the beginning of time to the end of time. In the person of Jesus Christ. Share the good news. What child is this? He's God incarnate. Born of a virgin. Fulfilling prophecy that was written thousands of years earlier. The silence of the 400 years between the last time a prophet wrote to the uh, receiving of, of this promise. We've been learning this on Wednesday nights. Looking at this story as it unfolds. Born of a virgin, lived a sinless life. John, in 1 John 3, 5, said, In him was no sin. Peter said he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. 1 Peter 2.20 Jesus Himself, while He lived this sinless life, He did nothing to deserve death, was willing to lay down His life for you and for me. Because as enemies of God, our sin had separated us from a holy God and the only hope that you and I have is if God does something. And God did something first. And He did what no man could do. He lived a perfect, sinless life. Jesus Himself said, Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? While He was on trial, though there were many who slandered, there were many who made false accusations, none would stick because He was sinless. Think about this. All other religions, their founders need a Savior. Think about it. Judaism. Moses, Abraham, the patriarch system. We've been studying this through Hebrews. If you haven't learned anything in Hebrews, you should know that they recognized that that which was entrusted to them was to point them to the person of Jesus Christ. Christ is greater. He's a fulfillment of those Mosaic laws, of those Old Testament promises, of those practices within the tabernacle, within the temple, that all pointed to Jesus Christ. 
And the reason year after year they did sacrifice upon sacrifice was because they were awaiting the coming of the promised one, the Messiah. They knew they needed the Savior. Buddhism. Siddhartha Gautama. He never claimed deity. The founder of Buddhism never claimed deity. He was a man. And as a man, he sinned. Hinduism. Now, there's no singular founder of Hinduism, but a cultural uh, rising has led to a plethora of choose your own God. But there again, man creating God in his image to fit his needs, his wants. And as man, he needs a savior. Islam, when we think about Islam, even the Quran, even the Quran said that Muhammad was exhorted to seek forgiveness for his sin. If you happen to have a Quran, you can look it up in Surah 1661, 4055, 48, 1 through 3. And that's only a few of many that are listed in the Quran that said Muhammad needed to seek forgiveness for his sin. You see, biblical Christianity is the only religion where it's not man's attempt. To reach God. Think about, we mentioned and sung earlier about Mary and Catholicism. Catholicism falls short. Even Mary recognized her need for a Savior. Go over to Luke. In the story of Luke, we recognize that in chapter 1, and if you'll notice in verse 46 of chapter 1, and this is when Mary goes and visits Elizabeth and Mary is with child. And Mary said in verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my... What? Savior. Mary recognized her need for a Savior. This is why, again, when you look at all major religions in the world, they fall Short. Because again, religion is man's attempt to reach God. And man cannot reach God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So our only hope, gang, our only chance, our only prayer is if God does something first and He reaches down into our lives. He takes on the form of a man. He makes Himself who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. He enrobed Himself in the flesh. And He was willing to go to the cross of Calvary and lay down His life. What child is this? He's God incarnate. He's born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He laid down His life. 
John chapter 10, we're told that. John chapter 10, verse 18. No one takes it from me. Notice what he said, verse 17. Therefore my Father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. And I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I've received from my Father. Christ laid down His life in our place. Go over to Romans. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We find this account in verses 6 and following. Romans 5 verse 6 through 11. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How many of your sins were future tense when Christ hung on the cross? Over 2,000 years ago, when Christ hung on the cross and he, and he looked through the corridor of time, how many of your sins and my sins did He die for then? All of them. Christ laid down His life and He took it up again. Go over to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, if you would. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we find in verses 3 and following, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. What child is this? He's God incarnate. He's born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He laid down His life, and He took it up again. You know, I recently spoke at the upward last uh, football game, 30-some degrees, pouring rain, cold, cheeks were frozen, both of them. I mean, it was crazy. And so I shared at the last devotional, and I shared this illustration, this story, because I really believe this story, for me personally, it helps me make this connection, this understanding of what God has done to rescue us. We sang songs and you heard this word over and over about how God rescues, He saves, and how we need a Savior. Now, I am thankful this morning I have my brother here. He's the one that looks ugly like me. He's going to be thankful I pointed him out. And my brother's sitting up here. I'm glad he's with us. And we've also got a neighborhood friend. Y'all know Bill, Bill McKelvey. He's been coming here for a while now. They'll, they'll, they'll know this story. and not, not the story and how it happened, but they'll know the location of this story. When we grew up, we grew up in the same neighborhood. And down at the bottom, actually, Bill, of your heel, 
where the roads come through, the Presnells lived over here, Steve Harvey lived right there, the Williams lived right here. Anyway, you know exactly where I'm at. We're out playing one day. These guys weren't playing. They were, they were, they were older than me. The Bill was hitting the books. He's a smart guy. My brother's no telling where he was. Honky-tonking around town, maybe. I don't know, washing his car. But anyway, I was young. I think at the time I was probably 10 and a half, 11 years of age. And so me and some neighborhood kids were playing out in the yard down there. It was actually in, front, in Steve Harvey's front yard. Not the comedian, by the way. Um, and all of a sudden, one of our friends come running up and yelling for help. His little sister, about five years old, her name was Crystal, she had crawled into one of those ditches, the drain pipe that goes under the road. And she had crawled in there, because us good example older kids used to try and go through it to the other side. And she had gotten stuck trying to turn around. She got scared, and so she tried to turn around and come back, and she got stuck in the pipe. And so Stephen came running up and yelling for, you know, she's, she needs help. And so we all go running down there, and of course we get down and we're looking, and it's a small pipe, and it was dark through there. There was a good distance between where I was and where she was, and all I could hear was her screaming for help. And... Me, I don't know, being probably the dumbest, decided I would go in and get her. And so I began to make my way. Uh, I was a lot smaller, by the way. <laughs> okay, a lot smaller. All right, so just leave it there. And I began to just barely edge my way through as best I could till I got to where she was. And I asked her to reach out her hand, grab my hand, and I finally was able to drag her out, backing my way out, pulling her as I went, and got her out to safety. Now as I thought about that story, and I shared with the upward kids, guys, think about this. That's you and me. We were stuck in darkness. We were stuck in our sin. We are stuck in our sin. And unless someone reaches in and comes to where we are and takes us by the hand and saves us, rescues us, we have no hope. We're crying for help. We need help. But we can't do anything in and of ourselves. Guys, this is the Christmas story. God stepped down through the distance that separated us and He took on the form of a man to reach out His hands to save us. He has heard our cry. And He is our Savior. What child is this? He's God incarnate. Born of a virgin lived a sinless life. He laid down his life and he took it up again. This is the very story of Christmas. So as you celebrate Christmas, think about why did Jesus come? He came to rescue us. From what? From sin. The Bible says there's none righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands and no one who seeks God. All have turned away, Romans 3, 10 through 12. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23. 
It's that rejection of God, the sin that has created that barrier. It's why we are enemies on two opposite sides. But God moved first. For the wages of sin is death, the bad news. If we get what we deserve, we deserve death. But the good news of Christmas is that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this Christmas, as we celebrate and sing about our Savior, let us do this with repentance and joy. Knowing That we've sinned, but thankful that God sent His only begotten Son to forgive us, to rescue us, to save us. God rest ye, merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ, our Savior, born on Christmas Day. To save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. What child is this? He's the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Your word tells us, nor is there salvation in in any other, in no other name. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus Christ is the only name. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Lord, if there's someone here today or watching or listening that does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, Lord, may they by faith today turn from their life of sin and turn to the Savior. Cry out because He's reached down through the corridor of time and He offers grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And Lord, we will give you the praise for what you and you alone are doing and going to do. In Jesus' holy name, amen.